Welcome to Funds That Won, where we dive into some of the world's most renowned investment funds. We'll interview investment managers across the alternative landscape and learn how they built their million and even billion dollar asset management empires. We'll explore teams, structures, strategies, and best practices in launching and running alternative investment funds. Dinesh, why don't we start by you giving me the elevator pitch on JNR Capital. JNR Capital is a group of companies, really. Uh, we, we manage investments. Uh, we buy hotels uh, uh, through private, various private equity fund structures. We've been doing this for a couple of decades now, very successfully. And as of today, we've completed roughly 200 million in transactions. What we really do is buy distressed and value-add hotels and to transform them into highly profitable hotels with brands like Marriott, Hilton, Best Western. And uh, our formula is really simple. You know, we leverage deep-rooted relationship with executives at these companies, local lenders, banks that we know, and we've cultivated the relationship over many years and general contractors to bring the best value to our investors and partners. You know, I'm also a general contractor, so it saves us time and dollars into our projects. And so we can enhance more value to our investors. So, and besides uh, me, I have my co-founder, Robins Patel, who is my brother as well, is part of GNR. And we have a you know, good seasoned, experienced team that follows our systems and processes to get this thing done. That's what we are. I love it. Hey, let me start by asking you this. So it's a family business, you and your brother. A lot. I mean, that's that's typically a big topic of discussion, whether you should or shouldn't go into business with your siblings, your parents, family. Uh, obviously, it's working out for you. You know, what's your what's your thought process there? Uh, Robinson and I have been at this since uh, 2004, so it has worked out very well, um, and we grew up together. And obviously, we know a lot about each other. So I think as long as, you know, the goals are the same, the values are the same, and more often than not, it is. And I think, uh, you know, we've, uh, we've made it work. And uh, in recently, a couple of my other cousins also were added to JNR Capital as uh, co-GPs. So they are also joining the family as we are growing. So I think, you know, we can make it work. And uh, in fact, a lot of our family members have similar structures where uh, a bunch of family members, cousins and all that go into business together and, you know, they make it work. So I, I you know, I've rarely seen partnerships in within my immediate uh, network go bust. Now, of course, there can be disagreements, but disagreements are normal part of business, right? So you just have to work around them, work with them, work around them. So how do you think about uh, succession planning in this type of business? Are, do you guys just, or have you even talked about that yet? I know you've been running it for a number of years, but are, do you plan on handing it off to family or if somebody else, you know, takes the ropes? Uh, what are you guys envisioning? We've been talking about it lately. You know, I'm 51 now and uh, Robbins is 46. So we, we talk about succession planning now. What do we do? What's our plan? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm still uh, going strong. Uh, we want to keep doing this. Uh, we love what we do. So, but at the same time, you got to have succession planning so the business can continue. Something were to happen to either or either one of us. So we are, we have the management structures where, if we step away from the business for a month or two, the business will continue. 
uh, we are also trying to work on certain things where when we step away from the business for a month or two, the business continues to grow, right? So not just operate, but also grow. So I think that's where the succession planning becomes really critical is how can we make sure that not business will not just continue, but also thrive and grow, right? I think that's the magic. Uh, we haven't cracked the nut yet. I think we're working on it. We're trying to figure it out. Uh, and it's usually the best person to take, take on the role will get the role, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be a family member. It has to be the right person who can lead the company uh, and continue to grow the company. So it's it's a hot topic right now, you know, uh, succession planning, estate taxes, and those types of things. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I can imagine so, especially especially in a family business, you know, government, uh, excuse me, governance becomes such a big, you know, topic of discussion. So are you and Robbins then the primary decision makers at your firm? Yeah. Yep. And how, and how do you make uh, decisions in a two-man partnership? Do you have to be unanimous on everything? Do you guys just have to convince, you know, the other one, if, you know, if you're going a certain direction or you want to buy a certain hotel, what does that look like? Well, you know, besides Roberts and I, we have two other cousins who joined, joined the firm uh, and, and they're part of the GP uh, general partnership. So we, we try to do everything randomly, right? If I, when we are looking at a deal to invest, we buy hotels. So we, we go through 100 plus, you know, deals every year. And that's our funnel. And we, we buy quite a few of, I mean, you know, we don't buy hundreds, but we buy less than 10 of them. Uh, there's a process, you know, you go through the deal process. It has to be unanimous. You know, if someone does not like the deal, we talk to them and say, what do you not like it? You know, is it a gut feel? Is there a specific thing you don't? We, you know that we don't know, uh, but we, we like to do things unanimously. Uh, I, I don't recall any time where someone said no and we still went ahead with it. I think uh, ultimately, you know, if, if people feel strongly about it, then we, we don't do the deal. I'd rather uh, miss out on a good deal than to do a bad deal, right? I think it takes a, yeah. lot, of, it takes a lot of energy out of you if it's a bad deal. You spend disproportionate about it, disproportionate amount of time, and 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 real estate takes time, right? You buy real estate and you hold, but it, bad deals take a lot of time, uh, and uh, that you could be spending on other projects, right? So we just rather not do them. Yeah, you know, wh while we're on governance, do you, do you have a, an investment committee or a board that you lean on uh, through your decision making, or how does that work? Yeah, so four of us are now on the investment committee and, and we have a couple of board of directors as well. So we go to them for input every now and then. So, but the four of us who run the day-to-day -day business of JNR Capital Partners, we, we decide on what we invest, what, and also not just investing on new deals, but also, you know, when to refinance, when to renovate these hotels, and a bunch of decision-making things that we got to do. So that's, that's how we operate. Yeah. Well, that's great. So yeah, let's let's talk about hotels. So how many how many hotels are you currently managing? We have thirteen at the moment. Thirteen through your various funds and syndicates. You have thirteen hotels, and where geographically where are they at? We are all these thirteen hotels are in Massachusetts, Connecticut, Maine, New Hampshire. So New England area focused. We actually just signed a LOI. Uh, to purchase a hotel in Florida. So we are expanding into Southern markets. I think I've been looking for a couple of years. 
uh, nothing made sense until you know this thing just we just signed. So we are that'll be the first entry into Florida, assuming you know it all goes well and you know goes to goes to closing. You guys just want to get out of the cold and get some sun, huh? We we do, and I think Florida <laughs> has no income tax, so I would I'd love to have JNR South South right and set up a base there so we can grow in that in that region as well. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's great. Hey guys, thanks for listening. As you know, we don't run ads on this channel. So if you could really help me out, this podcast has added any value to you or your business. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review. I would appreciate that greatly. Thank you. So, uh, and th these 13 hotels, what is the book value or what, you know, what is, what, what are these 13 hotels worth? If you, you know, if you sold them, if I sold them all today, mark to market, uh, one eighty, one eighty five million. Awesome. Uh, yeah. How do you think about the hotel business? You know, why the hotel business? Uh, you know, what areas attracted you to it? And, you know, what do you like about it? You know, I, I kind of grew up around the hotel business. So as soon as I moved to the United States in 95, a lot of my friends and family, they were in the hotel business. So every time you go to an event, everybody talks shop, right? You learn about hotels just by osmosis. I was probably one of the two or three people who had a W-2 job in my you know, community, maybe me and a couple of other people who were engineers and doctors, everybody else was a hotel owner. So we, so we learned about that business and that's all we knew, right? And it was a good business. It's a high risk, high reward business. If you look at commercial real estate and, you know, you know right now may not be a good, good time to say good things about office space, but before the COVID, office space was the low risk, low reward, you know, and then you had, you know, you get put multifamily up above that, then maybe self-storage, industrial, and then hotels. So hotels, from a risk perspective, they're a little bit higher risk than office and multifamily, but the rewards are better because it's an active business. We price our rooms daily, and uh, they use AI, machine learning types of systems, similar to what airlines do, and our pricing fluctuates multiple times a day. So we can adjust to the demands of the market, so and uh, and it's a cyclical business too. So a lot of people don't know this, but in, in hotels are cyclical. So you know you have it kind of goes with the economy. So when the economies uh, go go in distress, we feel the effects of it two quarters later, right? Because once there's economic issues, uh, a lot of big companies will curtail travel. Travel and training is the first thing that goes on the budgets. And we feel that impact a couple of quarters down the road. So it's a leading indicator, right? So when we see issues in the stock market or economy, I know two quarters later, we're going to have a problem in our, our, our business with the, with the demands becoming softer. At the same time, when that you know, demand comes back, economies improve, stock market improves, two quarters later, we will see an improvement. So it's, you know, if you, you'll have two great years, two bad years and six good to very good years. So it's, if you look at a 10 year cycle. Hmm. Well, so ho hotels are, I mean, it's, it's such an operational heavy business, you know, like a lot of investments uh, out there, you can allocate an investment and you can wait through either time or a force appreciate natural appreciation and you can realize a return but in, in hotels you're it's truly your i mean there's a whole entire operating business you know as part of this asset so 
Um, do you guys, I mean, do you have an operational company that you own that services your products? Uh, do you outsource that? Uh, are you in the day-to-day on the operational side of the business? Uh, you know, give me some color there. Absolutely true. You know, hotels are a combination of you know, high-quality real estate as well as, you know, operations, right? So you have to have both done very, very well, right? So in real estate, it's location, location, location. Hotels also, you know, are, you know, are susceptible to that. So you have to buy a good hotel in a good location. Hotels, hotel buildings are usually some of the nicest buildings in any city or town. And they're in some of the best locations. So that helps. And if you don't have that, it's not going to work. But at the same time, you have to have an operations team. So in, in, in JNR, besides, you know, private equity raising capital, we also have asset management uh, under, un, under our company where we do all renovations, construction, you know, all the loan structures. We also have a property operations and management company, which is called JNR Management Inc., so which we formed officially in I think 2014 or 15 timeframe where and then we got ourselves approved by companies like Marriott, Hilton, Best Western. So we are approved operator for these franchise hotels. So not only do we own these hotels, but we also operate them under our umbrella. So we are a full vertically integrated you know, investment firm where we do everything in-house. There is obviously there's in, in this business, there are third-party operators. They're very competent. There is some national operators where they can operate hotels for you nationwide. And there is some good regional operators as well. So in the future, say we just want to be asset managers and you know fund managers, we can outsource the operations to a third party as long as they're competent. But at this time, uh, we, we do it in-house and we have a very, very good team who, who, uh, who can handle that. Uh, we have great systems and processes that we keep iterating every every time we keep iterating and uh, and the way hotels are valued Lincoln is there is uh, when you appraise a hotel you know so there is the income expense approach right the income approach is used you know what is your cash flow of, of the hotel from the operations what is the sales comparison you know what is you know, what is the value per room compared to the other hotel, similar hotel that got sold in the region. And there's a replacement cost, right? If you were to replace the building, what would it cost to, you know, rebuild it? So you cannot do a combination of those two, three things that arrive at a value. A lot of time it is the income approach that prevails because when a buyer of a hotel, they look, look at what income can it generate to me? So, that, all that being said, if you are a bad operator, the value declines pretty quickly. Of course, you have some real estate value, but the overall value declines very quickly if you're a bad operator. So, and and uh, that's what that's what we like to buy those properties. We like to buy distressed properties. People people are not doing a good job at running these hotels, or maybe they they didn't maximize the full potential of it, and we see that, and then we purchase those, and then we can tap into all of that. Does your operate? Does your management company? Does it like employ all of the day to day workers of the hotel, um, or are they employees directly individually of, of that business? So each each hotel. Let's say we have we have thirty hotels today. So each hotel is owned by a separate entity, separate LLC, and all the employees that work for for that hotel 
typically are employed by by uh, by those entities or or maybe an operating company linked with that hotel and then in two or three cases where we have all the employees of those hotels work for the uh, operating uh, JNR management thing, which is the main operating company. So we've done a mixed bag of things uh, and, and there's no right or wrong way. Uh, so you can do either. And overall, we have at, at this point, 350 employees that work for us on the operation side. And then of those 350, 10, 10 employees work in the corporate side in, in the in above property, we call it, right? So these are the regional director of operations, regional director of sales, corporate controllers, HR, AP clerks, uh, those types of things where their job is to support all the hotels. Every hotel has a general manager and all the employees of each hotel reports to the GM and the GMs of each hotel report to the regional director of operations of the company. So it's a nice, nice structure uh, to, to run the business. Gotcha. Uh, I love it. Um, now, in the hotel market, there are anything, there's anything and everything out there from Super 8s to, the, you know, the Waldorf for Four Seasons. Where, you know, where do you guys, is there a certain part of the, you know, hospitality market that you guys target, um, you know, or, you know, where do you guys like to play ball? Absolutely. I think uh, there is, there's four segments the way I look at it. It's and a lot of industry people also look at it this way. So there's the economy segment, which is the super eights of the world, like you said. Then there is the mid scale, uh, where the best westerns, uh, the holiday inns come into play. There is the upscales, where you have the Hampton Inn, uh, Courtyard Marriott, Hilton Garden Inns, uh, and then the luxury segment, which is the Waldorf, Ritz Carlton's, W's, those types of properties. So we, we play in the mid-scale to the upscale category in the middle middle of the segment. Uh, that's where we like to buy. We like to buy, you know, the very well-known brands like Marriott, Hilton, Best Western. They have very, very strong membership loyalty programs, which drive a lot of business demand to our hotels. Uh, we only have one hotel, which is independent, which is basically not affiliated with a franchise company. So we run it ourselves, but... You know, we, we use our we use all the same operating systems that these brands provide for the independent operation. But everything else that we own is franchised in that middle segment. We don't have anything on the economy side or the luxury side. And I think typically most Wall Street firms, if you look at Blackstone, BlackRock, uh, KSL, many of the major players, even larger funds, uh, or private REITs or hotel public REITs, they, they like to play in that segment too. Many, most of the hotels that they own are in that segment because they are the most profitable uh, for the buck. Uh, and you, are, you get good cash flow every year uh, versus just relying on appreciation at the end, at the exit. So hotels cash flow quarterly and they are able to distribute cash flow quarterly as well, which is, it, it's very easy to do in the mid-market. Mid gotcha. That's fascinating. Um, how do you how do you feel about? Uh, I feel like the hospitality industry is changing a lot uh, recently. Uh, you know, with the introduction of uh, you know Airbnbs and uh, you know those types of businesses. You know, how do you how do you feel about like how do you think that is affecting the industry, the the hospitality industry in general, and the hotel business? It's it's been 
those competitions have been there for a while, right? Before Airbnb, uh, you had Sunday newspapers where they had all the listings, right? So back in the 90s and early 2000s, you would look at the Sunday paper and there were two or three pages of those listings, right? Now Airbnb just made it easier to book, right? Earlier, you had to call someone and do that. So, you know, we, we had those competitions from a long time ago. So that's not new to us. Uh, at the same time, I think, uh, you know, they, they do impact because now there's additional inventory, additional supply in the room, right? So we always have to compete with them. We, hotels offer something different than Airbnb. Airbnb typically is a house, which has a little bit more amenities. Uh, it's a different uh, customer. A lot of large corporates uh, that we do business with, they like to stay in hotels. Uh, they like their Marriott and Hilton points. Their loyalty programs are amazing. The business travelers love those. So, uh, and with a, with a good product and a good offering, you can compete with anybody, right? I think what's happening now is the, every town and cities are realizing uh, that they are leaving money on the table uh, uh, with Airbnb and they're not regulated the same way as hotels are, right? So we try to educate the local places that, look, we are... We are required to follow a lot of rules, uh, health codes, fire and life safety, code, life safety codes, ADA codes. Uh, it needs to be the same for all of these guys as well who are renting homes to the general public. So the late, and we pay occupancy taxes. We collect and pay occupancy taxes, which is a big amount. And it varies from 9% to 15%. And that money goes to the state and local cities, right? It doesn't go to our pocket. We collect and pass it through. So they're leaving a lot of money on the table. So now they have realized that a lot of lot of states that we do business in, they have passed local legislations that if you rent a, your home on Airbnb or Verbo or anything like that, more than 15 days in a year, you have to be registered and you have to collect and pay occupancy taxes. So that's, we're just trying to make the level playing field for everybody. And then, you know, ADA rules and fire and life safety, those are not quite there yet, but uh, we hope that that will continue and they will have the same regulations as we do. What's the, what's the toughest part of the hospitality business? Uh, somebody, you know, on the outside looking in that maybe we wouldn't know about, you know, about hospitality management and managing hotels. What's, what's the hardest part about it or something that's maybe you, something you don't see? Yeah. You know, on a typical hotel, we go through 30 to 40,000 guests per year, right? So you have 40,000 unique interactions every single year. So if you divide it by 365, you're talking about 100 plus unique interactions every year. So that's a lot of uh, systems and processes you gotta have. It's a people business, right? So you have to really have a lot of process systems and good people who can, who think hospitality, who like taking care of people. And uh, so that's that's really, really important part of hospitality business. And uh, restaurants are the same, right? You know, you go through so many clients, you know, throughout the year and one bad experience and you never see that guest again, right? And uh, so you have to really kind of uh, follow through quite, quite, quite a lot. And it starts with how they make bookings, right? Make it easy for them to make bookings. What is their pre-arrival experience? Do you send up a welcome email? You know, these are the amenities of your business or your hotel. During the stay, you have to reiterate, you know, what offerings you have, you know, check in with them during the stay, making sure that stay is comfortable, any issues are addressed 
So there's a lot of high touch uh, points that a lot of people who go in this business, if they don't understand it, I think they end up not staying in the business for too long, right? So there could be, you know, issues that happen at a moment's notice. So you got to be able to react to those, right? So you have to have to have a team that is ready to address those types of issues. Not every day is the same. You can write a book being a hotelier. Uh, there's so many things we see and we learn every single day that my management teams can write books on their experiences. And you meet, you meet amazing people and you meet uh, the worst people as well, right? When they are at their worst, right? Maybe they missed a flight or maybe their Uber took them a long route and they had to pay $100 to get to our hotel. So they come in with some baggage and uh, we got to deal with it. So, uh, so those are different things that come in to play with hospitality uh, that a lot of people don't know. Uh, again, not yeah. difficult. There are so many thousands of professionals throughout the world who do this. You just have to be aware that uh, these are, these are uh, the expectations of, of this industry. Staffing is always a challenge, right? Finding good people is a challenge. It has been very difficult in the last three years. Uh, it's getting better, but it's not quite pre-COVID uh, level yet. So it's getting much, much better uh, that we can hire people. Uh, and uh, typically in our business, there is 50% turnover. Uh, so that's another thing a lot of people don't know, that you're dealing with 50% to 60% turnover every year, regardless of what happened in the pandemic. That's just the norm. So if you don't have good training systems, we have amazing training systems where we bring in someone, they walk in their door, within two days, they can do their job and most, most aspects of their job. And then, you know, it takes a while to become you know, better, but at least they can do the basic things and take care of the guest within two days. So we just have to make sure that the training systems are phenomenal so we can take care of this turnover much more effectively because if you're taking four, five, 10 days to train someone before they can be at the desk, taking care of your customers or answering calls or cleaning rooms, then your payroll expenses are so high, you, you'll never be profitable. So, yeah. so you have to have a very, very well-oiled machine on how to bring in people and get them trained and you know, effective right away. Hey guys, if you are interested in working with myself or our team, uh, we actually select a few clients a quarter to work with. Uh, you can find an application on our website. I would love to see, you know, if you, if you are looking to start a fund in any way, shape or form and need some help, uh, shoot us a note. We'd love to take a look. Th thank you for that explanation. Let me ask you this though, on the flip side. So what, what is your, you may have touched on this, but what is your primary value add? You know, as you go out and you acquire these hotels, uh, you know, how are you, how are you making these businesses better? What's your, what's your edge? Uh, absolutely. Many, many things that we do. I, I wish it was just one or two things, but it starts with relationships. You know, it's a relationship business, right? So we have built a lot of strong relationship with all of these franchise companies because all of our hotels are franchise hotels. So we have to have strong relationship with the brands. We know the executives at the brand. We know the design team members. We know the people who do QA at our hotels. Uh, we know what they're expecting and what, what they will give on, right? So when we're signing a new franchise agreement, what are some of the things that can be negotiated that benefits the hotel, the entity, and the investors, right? So like reduced fees, reduced application fees, uh, key money uh, when we do new projects. 
So those types of things we build that we leverage, right? And it's a constant effort, right? Because people also change in those companies. So you are constantly, and if you don't do that, LinkedIn, you just, you know, you're not providing the best value for your investors, right? So you have to do that. So we do that. But it's true that a lot of, lot of companies, they don't do that. And you see the results are not the same, right? So the companies who do it well, that ha that helps them. And then same thing with lenders, right? We can, we have at least four or five lenders in New England where if I want to get a loan for a hotel, if I'm acquiring a hotel, I just have to call them and say, what interest rate are you going to give me? I know their terms. They know us. We know them. We know their program. So we can get that done fairly, fairly confidently. Uh, and and, and that, that's an edge, right? A lot of people can't get loans right now. We are refinancing a hotel uh, tomorrow, actually on Friday. And all I had to do is say, hey, what, what rate can you give me? And he said, okay, let's do it, right? So that's the type of thing you have to, or if you're in a bind, can a lender rescue you, right? So they can come in and do that. Uh, so we, we do that quite well. And the difference is amazing, right? right? We are closing on a loan right now at 6.7% loan. I don't know anybody in the hospitality business that is getting a loan at under 10% right now. And wow. Yeah, that's like that's lower than a lot of residential loans, I that's feel right. like. We closed in a hotel on May 24th, 6.1% uh, is fixed for five years, right? And and I no, you can't do that. Norm. You know, if, I, if we are acquiring hotel in Florida, as I said earlier, and I'm talking to a local friend of mine, he's saying, oh, everybody wants 10%, right? And I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm just closing at something at 6.8 right now. So, and that's, that's because of this well-nurtured life, you know, relationship that we have built over a couple of decades. And the last thing I would say is, um, you know, I'm a general contractor, so we do so much renovations when you buy these hotels. We are buying them as distress, so they're valued, so it needs work. So you have to implement a Hilton Marriott, you know, standard, right? You have to implement that programming in these hotels. So you have to know what to do. And we do, we are spending right now between the next, between this year, next year, $25 million in renovation. Besides acquisition, just renovation to improve these hotels. Uh, so we, I'm a licensed GC, so that allows us to cut out all the overhead and we can go to our subs directly. We save so much money doing it this way. So I got myself licensed to, in 2016 or 17 because we're doing so much renovation. I talked to Robinson and said, hey, look, you're paying so much fees, 10, 20, 30% overhead fees to these general contractors. It's one of us should become a GC. So I, you know, I picked the straw and I, you know, I took the test and did the study <laughs> and I became the general contractor, right? So it helps. So, but why is it, why is it important? We can finish things on time. We can do it at a lower cost. There's two main things I want to go back to on that. First of all, uh, on the loans, uh, to get such good rates, do you have to do any sort of personal guarantees on that? Or, we do. We do. Uh, okay. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're secured by both the business and you. Yes, exactly. Okay, gotcha. the, the, the borrower and the guarantor is the business, the cash flow of the hotels, but then the second layer of protection is the personal guarantee that Robinson and I give. Uh, even if you have a non-recourse loan, for example, let's say there's a non-recourse loan that you get, there is still a personal guarantee in that. A lot of people don't realize that. So there is still a personal guarantee. If something, or if, you're, if you do fraud, if you do, they have standard bad boy carve-outs. So you still are yeah. guaranteeing the debt at some level. Here, 
we do personal guarantee, which is above and beyond the non-recourse guarantee, right? So that's how we are improving the loan terms by giving the personal guarantee. If I don't do a personal guarantee, then I'll have to pay 10%. Mm, gotcha. Cool. And then the second thing is the, you know, working with these franchises, uh, do, do you feel like you don't have as much, uh, you know, autonomy, uh, you know, working with a franchiser um, or like what are the pro, like give me the pro cons of, you know, acquiring hotels, uh, you know, with a franchise uh, franchisee model versus not. Absolutely. So, you know, it's uh, the pros are very well known. You know, you're working with a well-known brand, right? So you don't have to do marketing. You know, you don't have to make your no-name hotel uh, uh, well-known. Well so we can get a lower cost marketing, right? So we, we pay three and a half or four percent of our revenue towards marketing budgets to Marriott or Hilton or Best Western. But they get the global scale, the global you know, reach to the global audience, right? And they have this amazing loyalty programs that bring business. In some of these hotels, 70% of our revenue comes in from the members of these companies or loyalty Sorry, programs. Sorry, 70? 70, 70%, yes. Wow. So that's, that's a lot, right? Now, you try to do that yourself. I mean, you can do it. There's a lot of independent hotels in our country and globally. So that means you have to have a marketing engine, loyalty program. You have to do all of those systems in-house. Not impossible. You can do it. But these hotels, companies do a phenomenal job at marketing and bringing the customers. So that means we just have to, again, we also do a lot of bookings on our own, right? We also have a sales team that brings guests to the hotels, groups. But if the big chunk is coming from the brand, that's that's amazing. So that's, that's the pros. Uh, the cons are uh, another pro. Actually, I, I should I should say, is that it it's consistency, right? So if I'm if I'm a if my hotel is a residence in Marriott, which is affiliated with the Marriott brand, or a Homewood Suites by Hilton, which is a Hilton brand, when we buy something like that, our values are maintained too, right? Because we keep up with the standards of the brand, right? So that's the benefit. The values are higher. At the same time, we have to keep up with the standards. So every 7, 14, 21 years, we have to do capital improvements to upgrade these hotels. So, you know, uh, so that's the requirement. That means you have to put capital in. If you're an independent hotel, you can you don't have to do capital improvements, right? So but what what these companies have done research and surveys, and they've found that by doing these renovations every seven years. You're maintaining the standard, you're elevating the standards so you can maintain or increase your revenue, right? So you get that in business, but you have to do a lot of capital improvements. So some owners don't like that. They don't like to be told what to do and when to do, right? So, yeah. and you have to follow that standard. If they decide that they want furniture from this company, then you gotta buy from that company, right? And, or if they want certain quality of furniture, then you gotta do that. So that's, and then they QA you, right? So they come for QA, unannounced QAs twice a year. A lot of owners don't like that. We embrace it. We we tell our teams that be QA ready every day, right? It's like if you're a realtor and you have a showing for a house, you get your house ready for a showing, right? Typically. And it takes, you partner with a homeowner to a showing to make sure the house shows, it shows the best possible features to a, to a prospective buyer. Imagine having a showing every minute of your day, 24 hours a day, right? You have to be ready for the customer. And that could be a QA person from, from the brand, or it could be someone we send. We also do our own QA 
that we said to these hotels. And we, we, we scored them on a score of 1 to 100. So some owners don't like that. They don't like to be told by the franchise companies what to do and what not to do. And so there's some frictions and there's some litigation that happens because of that too. Sometimes it is fair. Sometimes it is unfair too. We've seen both, both sides of things. So that's why if you look at, you know, there's a lot of litigation in the franchising world because of misunderstandings or uh, different things which are perceived as fair or unfair by either party, right? And so it, it's, it's, it's a process. Uh, we, we've learned how to uh, embrace it and uh, grow with it. And it has yielded good results for us. So, and uh, if, if I were to build a hotel today from scratch, and if you ask me, would you do it branded or non-branded? I would brand it. I would go to the top franchisers and say, this is the brand I would like to do all day and long. What are you paying for that, Jignesh? Uh, you know, what's the, what's the franchise fee, uh, if you're allowed to disclose? Absolutely. There's, there's two or three, multiple fees. So it starts with the affiliation fee. So if you want to buy a franchise, if I want to build a, let's say a residence in Marriott, if I want to build one, there's a, a fee of, let's say, somewhere between fifty dollars to $100,000. Depending on the brand, the fees can vary. And then depending on the room counts, if you, you know, it's 100,000 up to 200 rooms and about 200 rooms, there is a fee. Every brand has their own formula. And then there's a royalty fee. So you pay them a percentage of your total revenue as a royalty, which is generally varies from three to 5% based on the brand. And then there's a system fee and marketing. Systems and marketing fees, another additional fees you pay. So they provide all the marketing, TV, internet, social media. They do everything for that. And, and, and they provide all the technology systems, the reservation systems, the software. All of that can range from 2 to 4%, depending on, on the brand. So you pay royalty fees and up, you know, system fees, marketing fees from your revenue. Um, and then, of course, there is other fees involved, like uh, uh, loyalty. So Merit has this program called Bonvoy. Hilton has Hilton Honors. So when those members come in, uh, they bring so much business, but the revenue that they bring in, there's additional you know, fees for those points as well. So there's some fees that we have to pay. But overall, I think the amount of business that comes in well overcomes the fees that we have to pay. So that's the idea, right? And I think gotcha. if, if you can't do that, it doesn't work. Yeah, that's great. Well, I'd like to shift gears. Uh, thanks for just, you know, going deep on the hotel business. That's awesome. Uh, let's talk a little bit more, you know, about uh, the actual management perspective of these of these vehicles and, and, and products. So, I mean, you first started with a management company before you started taking on any outside investors. Uh, and that you were just managing these assets, right? Uh, and then you uh, actually started, you know, raising money. And you you said earlier that it's, uh, you know, typically it's more kind of a higher risk asset. It doesn't seem like you guys have had trouble, uh, you know, facilitating fundraises. Uh, but you know, walk us through, uh, you know, what that what that's been like, you know, raising money in the hospitality industry. We we've raised. Uh, we've raised money in multiple structures, right? Whether it is a single asset structures or multiple asset structures owned by a single entity, many different ways. And even in my first hotel, I had my brother-in-laws who were investors in them and I, I own 55% and they own the others, rest. And every hotel we've had investors, it started with friends and family, typically how most small business starts, as you know, right? With friends and family yeah. money. 
And then uh, as we are buying some of these hotels, we bought our first Marriott in 2016. We took on some outside investors uh, and a couple of high net worth investors who came in and and then they liked what we did. They liked how we operate, uh, our performance. They built trust with us. And then we explained to them what hotels are, right? So it's a higher risk, higher reward. So they saw a better reward. So then they liked the asset class and they liked us, meaning they started to trust us about how we run the company. And then they liked our track record, right? What can we can do from So those three combinations of things really helped us to say, okay, let me, let me go out and get some more other investors. So then we started for getting more and more. So, you know, their, their friends came in, their friends of friends came in and a lot of people like what we did and they referred their other friends and family members to us. So, I've hmm. spent zero dollars of marketing. I've done zero in you know, JNR. We haven't done anything in marketing our company on social media, ads, nothing. It's just been organic. Uh, so referrals, you know, friends of friends, all, all of all our investors and partners are high net worth or ultra high net worth accredited investors. So that's what uh, is really, you know, fueling our growth and. Uh, We've uh, given them uh, amazing returns over the years. Uh, we've sold a few hotels. We sold two, ho uh, three hotels so far. We are selling our fourth hotel. Uh, very, very good equity multiples and IRRs so in the 30s and 3x equity multiples. So they like it, and then they keep they keep feeding it. Hey guys, so if you want to learn more about investment funds, uh, how they work, how they're structured, if you want to become a fund manager, how I became a fund manager, visit our YouTube channel for more free value. The link is in the show notes. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, what, what do you do from, uh, I mean, there's a lot, when you're managing these products from an administ, there's a little bit more of an administrative burden from, uh, you know, fund administration, compliance, audits, uh, you know, walk us through a little bit of uh, what sort of things you do in-house versus out, maybe outsource via fractionalized uh, services at your stage. Oh, that's a great question. That's a great question. I mean, we have a great team in-house. At the same time, you need a team of people outside to support your growth, right? So it starts with our general counsel. We hired the best hotel lawyer, hospitality lawyer in the country as a general counsel three years ago. So he does all the legal work. We can buy a hotel in any of the states and even in outside the mainland, Puerto Rico and other places, we have it covered. So that's, that's a very good team to have. And then uh, for our fund administration and accounting, we use a company called Juniper Square. Uh, they've come a long way with their software stack and, uh, and they're amazing, right? So they do all our accounting for the fund and it's good because our investors can see that we have a third party who is doing all the accounting and bookkeeping, right? So there's, it builds an element of trust as well that we have somebody else looking at that. Not that we need to be do everything by the book. At the same time, when you have a trusted company like Juniper Square do the books, I think it really helps. And their data is very secure. And so we give a secure portal to all our investors. So... If you are an investor in any of our hotels, you have an account on Juniper Square, you can see what you what money you put in, what distributions you've gotten from inception, what is your return, and, and the K-1 documents, the quarterly statements. We release statements quarterly to our investors. 
we do webinars every quarter as well. So uh, and, and and so everything is available on Juniper Square uh, platform. And then we use a company called Clifton Larson Allen CLA for our CPAs. So we have them for almost six years now. They are a top ten firm in the country. So we. Uh, we get good advice from them about how to benefit from all the real estate depreciation, amortization, new tax laws that come in that benefit us, right? So they, they are a, they've been an amazing partner with us. Anytime there's a new legislation that is coming through Congress or it passes Congress, the, I get a call from my CPA and say, hey, this thing passed, this is going to benefit you, or this is, this is a problem, right? So we figure out, <laughs> we get this call. So we, we don't have to stay on top of Legislation. We, Robinson and I do a good job at keeping up with it, and we tell them sometimes of something new that they might not know. But partnering with CLA, it has been great because I'm not telling them about the new rules; they're telling me, which is the which is how it should be. Uh, yeah. And then um, we also have good securities lawyers that that helps us with the uh, blue sky filings, the compliance uh, aspects of it. Uh, what we got to do quarterly, annually. So they do all of that. Uh, we use a company called Freeman Lowell for that. And they are very, very good. And and they have, uh, and we will be using them in the near future as well as we do future in uh, future capital raises through various entities. So and those are the types of themes that, that we have. And I told you, right, we do property management in-house. So yeah. We constantly invest in that too, right? You know, now we are investing in new technology on how we can deliver better property management to these hotels. We're constantly innovating, constantly improving. There's always change. Uh, so, but we couldn't do it with all of these professionals. So, uh, that's the that's the team that we have uh, put together. And then we use an accounting software for for hotels called Inflow. And they also offer us bookkeeping services for each of these individual hotels. So that needs mm. to be done. So, and uh, that's outsourced as well. So besides having corporate controller and an AP clerk in our company, we also use outsourced bookkeepers to do, oh. who do all our daily bookkeeping for all these hotels. So when I come in in the morning, I get a daily flash report where I know exactly, I don't have to open the night audit reports for each hotel. I get a summary report which is comes from the software, which with all the revenue is booked for the previous night. And I get a summary. What was the occupancy? What was your average daily rate for each hotel? And, uh, and that's how I start my day. How hard did we do yesterday? Right? So yeah. it's a small thing. You know, a lot of people don't do that. They look at monthly PLs only. I look at the daily report. It kind of gives me interesting what's happening in the market. Why is this doing better? Yeah. Why is this not doing so well? So. But it's a machine. You know, all of that took time, Lincoln, right? So if, right. if someone is starting up in the hotel business today, you know, I would tell them, look, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of energy that you got to put in to build the systems and processes. It, it, and it works. You know, it just someone has to be willing. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme, right? It's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. No, that's great. You you hinted at it earlier, but uh, you know the future of JNR Capital. You know what do you want? What do you hope this business to look like five years, ten years down the road? Uh, do you have a you know you're at 181 million right now? Do you have objectives to you know be a billion dollar firm? Some firms like to stay more boutique. Uh, you know, like what, what what are your objectives? I think we've we've transacted a couple of hundred million. I don't think we'll 
own one billion of assets at one time. I would like to have a billion dollars in transactions that we have purchased and sold hotels over the next few years to get there. It was the first 15 years was a grind. You know, it took us a long time to get <laughs> to 10, 20, 50 minutes. But the next, next 10, next 50 was easier. The next 50 was even better. In the last one year, we've uh, deployed $85 million worth of hotels. Like we purchased $85 million worth of property. This is the last one year. And, but it took us a long time to get to that $100 million plus barrier, right? So I think getting to a billion, I think is definitely feasible. That's what we are going for. Uh, but I don't think we'll own a billion dollars in assets at one point in time. I think it will be, yeah. we'll be recycling many of this. So at, at, at a given point, I think, you know, 20, 25 hotels that we currently own and manage would be the right mix. Uh, if it gets bigger, we can handle it. We have a team, we can add to the team. We have a scalable model. So if I need to add, if I want to add 10 more hotels, we can simply scale the infrastructure. It is scalable. So, uh, and, and so we'll, we'll keep doing that. Uh, and it's fun. Uh, we enjoy doing this. We're also looking at other uh, asset classes too. So we, our goal is to set up a fund of funds where we can invest a good chunk of it in hospitality. At the same time, uh, we are partnering with a couple of companies to deploy some of the capital in multifamily and self-storage. I do like those asset classes too. So we found an amazing partner for multifamily. Because a lot of my investors, believe it or not, they also invest in multifamily. So, and they also invest in self-storage. So we talked to them and we figured out, right? So, well, let me offer that to you through my, through my offering. So we, we went out and curated, we interviewed so many multifamily operators and we picked two or three that we can work with. And we just invested into one, uh, one multifamily operator, half a million dollars of investment to see how it works out. We'll see how they operate. So we actually mm -hmm. put money into them and we'll observe them for the next two or three quarters, how they, you know, operate, how they communicate with us, good and the bad. It doesn't have to be all good, right? So, and then we can, when we start a fund of funds, we can deploy maybe 20% of the capital to multifamily, 20% to self-storage. So it will be a hybrid type of fund. Awesome. No, that's great. Yeah, it, it's always so fun to hear the you know direction of the firm. It sounds like you're doing everything right, growing your current business and then expanding into, you know, different product sets as well. Well, as we as we start to wrap up, maybe a last few, uh, you know, a few last questions here. Um, any sort of habits uh, in your personal life or professional that have tr attributed to your success? I guess it's a good question. Quite a few things, right? As uh, one of the things I I talk to folks is delayed gratification, right? You know, one of the, we that's something I've done, always done. Robbins has done throughout our years. You know, we whatever we do, you know, we reinvest back in the business, right? And we of course, you know, whenever there's a exit or we sell something, we go out and celebrate. Don't get me wrong. But we are always about how can we grow, right? So we delay gratification in any everything that we do, right? So we've we've been you know low key focusing on the business, growing the business. So that's something we we do quite a bit, and it has contributed quite a bit to our success. Uh, and and as the company grew, we learned how to you know you know when you're flying a plane, if you're buying a smaller, you're flying a smaller plane, you fly by sight, right? And when you get bigger. When you have a jumbo jet, you fly by instrument. So that's how I've, I kind of talk about our growth. We were earlier, 
seat of the pants, you know, very gut feel type approach. Now we, you know, learn to fly by instruments. We have a lot of metrics that we look at. So that has been quite, quite important to us too. So we can understand how each hotels are doing. We have some KPIs, key performance indicators that we use about eight to 10 of them. And then we rank each hotel in different KPIs and see either they're red, yellow, or green. And then we compare them. And if you're in the yellow, you know, what are we doing to make it green? If you're in the red, you know, that's a problem, you know, make it at least a yellow and then go to a green. So those types of things we do. Um, and because our business is priced daily, one of our other things like small habits, you know, you, you have to reforecast your business, right? You have to reforecast your revenue. You, so we reforecast every Friday. Uh, uh, on business side of things, we try to align incentives for corporate staff based on the fortunes of the hotels. So I used to work in large software companies. I worked in IT business for close to 20 years. One of the things that always you know, bothered me was the corporate goals. Let's say the company has five goals. I work in pretty large companies and even in startups that went public. Those five or six goals at the CEO level never linked to my personal goals, right? I couldn't see the link. So, and I was a middle management director level role. And that always bothered me, right? So when I started, we, Robinson, I talked about JNR. So all our goals, my goals to the general manager of the hotel, everybody's goals are fully aligned, right? So their incentives are aligned with the top line, bottom line, guest satisfaction scores, you know, preventive maintenance programs, um, uh, QA scores for the brand. So if, you know, because we know that if they're not aligned with those, we're not successful as a hotel and our investors are not happy. Right. So, uh, yeah. So those, those types of things we have done, uh, that everybody's aligned. So everybody's working together. There is no conflict. Everybody knows what is expected of that hotel and for, of them. Uh, so little things like that, right. You know, that we have sort of done over the years to, to have the slight edge than somebody else. Yeah, that's great. On the, on the flip side, uh, any sort of investment or business pet peeves, uh, things that just drive you crazy? <laughs> I think the biggest one is, you know, lack of follow-up and follow-through, right? If someone says they're going to do something or or if it's part of something that they are supposed to deliver by Friday or a specific date, and if there is no, if you're not going to make it, tell me, right? Hey, don't tell me at 4.59 p.m. on a 5 p.m. deadline, right? Tell me the day before. That you're yeah. not going to make it because of certain. That's okay. I understand life comes in the way, issues happen, and you have to reset deadlines. That's okay. But be, communicate. Communicate clearly, follow up and follow through, right? If you don't do that, you know, it bothers both me and Robbins. It just irritates mm -hmm. us, right? So come on, guys. You know, you, you know right. what is expected. You know, just tell us, right? Um, so, and, you know, it, it, as, we, as you grow, you can imagine there is a million things to do, right? Your to-do list is never small. And we hate chasing people and say, hey, I'm, I want to get an update on this. Where are we at, right? I don't like doing that. It just bothers me. So, you know, we're not perfect. I think we're constantly improving at that too. Even today, we were in a staff meeting. We were talking about two or three hotels slacking off and not giving us the updates that we need. And important things, not small things. So, you know, will it be perfect, Lincoln? I don't think so. But... <laughs> As long as we get better, you know, let's say, can we do yeah. better than yesterday? You know, I tell my general managers and our team, 
just do better than yesterday. Don't try to leap into the next dimension in day one day. You're not going to make it. Can you do better than yesterday, right? Can we do better than last month? I think that's all I'm asking for, right? Hey, if you commit to a next Friday deadline, deliver. You miss this Friday, no problem. Can you deliver next Friday, right? So those types of things. Yeah. And then last question, you alluded to it once. I'll, I'll give you a chance to add on to it. But, you know, if you were just starting over in this business of uh, fund management, asset management, uh, you know, what's something you wish you knew when you were just when you were just starting out? You know, I'm 50 plus right now. So uh, you know, I think I'm doing very well. But when I look at when I was 40, I wish I thought about more scale. Right. You know, I didn't think much. Right. So I could have grown much faster. And same thing when I was 40, I look back and said, oh, I wish I did something better when I was 30. And you always think that, right? Hindsight is always twenty twenty. So I, uh, I think uh, as as you look back, you think, can you scale? Think big, right? I tell people, think big. You can achieve it. I think Bill Gates said this, said this uh, quote: Most people overestimate what they can do in one year, but they underestimate what they can do in ten. And and when I heard that, I'm like, ah, oh, that's so true, right? You know, you always underestimate. I'm underestimating right now what I can do in the next ten years. I know that for sure, and I'm. I'm aware of it, right? So I'm telling other people, be aware of it. You know, maybe you can do more. And it takes a lot of, the other thing I would say is it takes a lot of grit, right? I think, you know, you, you know what is grit, right? It's, it's passion and perseverance with long-term and meaningful goals, right? Despite obstacles and things, distraction that comes in your way, you have to have a lot of grit. You know, you will have investors commit and not bring in the money. You would have deals that are on the edge, right? You're trying to sell something, it falls through. Or someone said they were gonna give you a very good loan and they disappear, right? I've seen, it didn't happen to us, but a bank did not show up to closing. Two days before the closing, they said, oh, we can't lend you, right? So the whole thing fell apart. So if you have to have a lot of grit in the real estate business. If you're an emerging fund manager, you know, that's something that you don't get taught in schools, right? You are, you know, you have to develop it. It's again, you can build it. So focus on having the grid because shit will happen. Things will go wrong when you least expect it. And, and, uh, and you got to figure out a way to pick yourself up first, right? Because if you're the presidency of the company, people look at you and how are you reacting to this adversity? So of course you can be frazzled and upset. That's okay. But what you do next is important, right? How do you overcome it? How do you, get over it. Or maybe you, you can't. Some things you just have to bite the bullet and move on. Uh, so but I think having that grit is, 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 is so critical to be successful as a uh, fund manager, business owner, entrepreneur in many of these things we do. Dignesh, thank you so much for your generous time today talking us through this business. Uh, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dignesh. All information shared are the sole thoughts and opinions of the author. Do not take any information as legal or financial advice. You should seek a certified accountant and a professional legal team before taking any further action. We are not selling or soliciting a security in any way, shape, or form. This content is for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as financial or legal advice. Clients of Fund Launch or Black Card Capital Partners may maintain positions and securities discussed on this podcast.